Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, Prayer Life Matters. It's a series on prayer, and we're joining churches all over Paramount to talk about prayer. Prayer moves the hand of God, so let's take our seat. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Service. I want to kind of give you a little bit more uh, insight on what it is that I do here because um, as far as how we flow, and I'm going to explain a few things. But, you know, in, in our services, I, we see the manifested power of God, miracles, uh, the touch of God, and, and, and such things. So I'm going to minister this morning on prayer, and I'm going to minister on the type of prayer and the type of prayer life that produces the power of God in a supernatural way in your everyday life. Um, but I want to show you something here. I mean, you'll often see me here we, um, with, with the Steve here in the back, and some of you probably wonder why that is. But you know, since I started in ministry, one of the things I would pray before stepping onto the platform, and this was every service, every service I prayed this, Holy Spirit, I need you to go before me. If you don't come on that platform with me, I have absolutely nothing to offer those people. And so I don't do worship again because I don't think we, you know, I, I love our worship. It's, it's, not, it's not that I think, oh, they didn't do it right the first time. Uh, what it is is there, there are certain songs that, that affect me in a certain way because there are songs and certain, certain ways of singing this and certain ways of praying that are from my own personal prayer life. So you see me stand on the platform. The reason I sing like this, the reason we have the worship team up here, the reason um, we, we do it this way is because it sets an atmosphere, yeah, for you, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm completely helpless if I can't lean on the presence of the Holy Spirit in that way. So you notice when I do this, this is the reason I'm doing this. I'm demonstrating something to you today. The reason that we have to have this is because there's a flow, and there are certain flows, yes, that are particular to each individual. And we know that worship is all about the Lord, but there's just something very genuine, something very sincere about worshiping the Lord in the way that you do so at home. And so it is a little bit selfish, I'll admit, but, but if I can get full, then I can overflow and pour onto you. And that's really the idea behind why we have things the way we have them. So I want you to join me in doing that right now. And we're going to worship the Lord. But as we worship the Lord, the goal really is to take the focus off of self. We need to, when we go into worship, we need to take the focus off of our needs, off of our desires, off of the things that we feel like we should have right there in that moment. And it has to shift from being about self to coming to this place where no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what we get or don't get, no matter how God responds to our prayers, no matter how God responds to the requests that we present to Him, that we're going to stand before Him and we're going to worship Him no matter what. We're going to worship Him even despite all the things that we think shouldn't be happening the way that they are. So I invite you now, hands up, lifted, eyes closed. And I want you just to begin to focus on Jesus himself and recognize that you're singing this directly to him. You're singing this to Christ himself. This is not something that you're doing to participate 
with the congregation. This is not something that you're doing to draw attention to what we're doing as a group. This is something that you're doing specifically as an individual for the Lord. I want you to forget about who is sitting next to you. I want you to forget about what it is you're praying for. I want you to forget about what it is that's troubling your mind. I want you to even forget about what agenda you think there should be here in the church service. And I want you to completely let go and just allow your mind to become focused on Jesus and only Jesus as we sing to the Lord. Hands uplifted, please. So Holy Spirit, breathe upon this word. Let it become life to us. As we get into your word this morning, Father, let that word empower us to be transformed. And Holy Spirit, work with that word to mold us into the image of Jesus as only you can do it. And we promise to give you all the glory for everything that will occur here this morning. We thank you, Jesus, and we honor and we bless, we glorify, we magnify, and we focus on your name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. This is going to be, if you were in the first service, I see several of you who were in the first service. Uh, It's going to be structured the same, the teaching. Um, but to be honest with you, most of what was in the first service, th- there are no real notes. You just kind of, I mean, notes is in a structure and some scriptures. But as far as what points you'll talk about, the Holy Spirit really has to lead you on that. So you're going to get a different message, but it is going to be structured the same way. Um, go to Matthew chapter 6. I want to show you this morning how to pray. Now, in different um, seasons of our lives, we ebb and flow. Your prayer life is the life source of all that you will be and do for God. Your prayer life is the foundation. Your prayer life is the root out of which your spirituality grows. As you begin to establish prayer in your life as a discipline, as you begin to establish prayer in your life as a daily practice, what you actually begin to see is transformation not just in yourself, but also in your circumstance and in the hearts of the people around you. Prayer makes you a man or a woman of God. Prayer is how you stay in touch with the divinity that God has placed inside you through His Holy Spirit. Prayer is how you keep in touch with that divine nature, that spiritual nature. All too often we see the carnal nature rising. We go through seasons of our lives where our prayer life begins to weaken. And I'm going to tell you, I'm right there with you. You may think, oh, Diga never probably misses a day of prayer. He probably is in the Word every single day. I'm telling you right now, there are days where I have where I go, oh my goodness, I didn't pray today. Now, I dedicate the mornings to the Lord, yes. I, I, I try to establish that as a routine. But when you travel, for example, for 40 hours straight, I kid you not, there's been times we've literally traveled for 40 hours straight. We're tra- talking 12-hour flight here, then three hours at the airport, then another eight-hour flight there, then another six hours at the airport, and then another small flight that's two hours. And from that flight, you go to another flight that's about 40 minutes. And it all can equate to sometimes 30, 20, 30, 40 hours of travel just to get where you're going. And it's hard to pray at the airport. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
because you're dealing with everybody. Everybody's in the flesh at the airport. doesn't matter who they are. Everyone's angry, and it's just not, it's not the most conducive to a spiritual atmosphere. I'm just going to word it that way. So there are times, and then there are seasons also, where, where as, as our ministry, for example, we just built a TV studio. There was, that season was hard to maintain a prayer life, even though that was probably the most crucial time to maintain it. All of these changes in schedule, all of these emergencies, just when I would get my Bible out, I'd get a call. You need to get down here right now, otherwise we're going to miss this guy and we won't get that permit for another three months. So i got to get down there right away. You know, so things like this disrupt our lives and Chaotic seasons like this can cause your prayer life to become weaker. And if you're being honest, you'll notice that there are seasons in your life where you do have this established streak. And then there are seasons in your life where your, your, your prayer life is hanging on by a thread. You're, you're, da- you're throwing up daily prayers to the Lord. Lord, here's what I got. And then you're out the door. But you'll notice this. In the seasons that your prayer life is weakening, your flesh is becoming stronger. The seasons where your prayer life is weakening, you're actually falling back into old habits little by little. Old patterns, old natures, old attitudes, old mentalities start to creep back up to you. Let me tell you something about the spirit, at least your spirit, man. It needs maintenance. Needs a constant correction. I've talked to people who say, you know, Brother David, I've been struggling with this same thing for years and years and years and years. And I've tried everything I know to do to correct it. And and it just seems like I keep falling back into it. The problem is that people think that once you're done with something that it never comes back. But issues of the flesh, remember this, issues of the flesh always come back have to be on your guard. You have to be in prayer. And when you are in prayer and the flesh is shrinking, the spirit is growing. And when the spirit is growing, you can start flowing in spiritual gifts. You can start flowing in the prophetic. You can start flowing in gifts of healing. I'll tell you this, in the seasons where my prayer life is stronger, I see greater miracles. There are some seasons where I'm lucky if I can see a headache healed. And then there are other seasons, man, where I feel like I'm, like I, I, I'm just, I'm just on it. How many know you've been on it before? You're just on it. And those seasons, I, I, in those seasons, I've seen paralysis healed. I've seen cancer healed. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. You have to come to a certain place. A powerful man of God taught me something, and I don't have. I probably should have prepared for it. I don't have the illustration. I literally just thought of it right now. Uh, to, 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 I remembered it. I should say. So. If I have a a glass of water, picture it, and a pitcher. So some people visualize prayer this way, and this is the way it is. This is this is what this man of God told me. He said, "You pour into the glass every day, prayer, 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 and that glass starts to become full." Now, he says this, and he's not the only one who I've heard say, say this. I've heard other very, very, very anointed people say something similar. They all tell me that around 21 days is where they're at their fullness. That after 21 days of prayer, every, not just prayer, I'm talking making contact. You know those, those prayer sessions where you make contact and you're like, I don't even want to leave this room? Okay, that type of session every day for 21 days. And they say that's where they find themselves at their fullness to where they're walking in such glory that people, people around them start breaking down in tears. They don't even know why. I've, I've been around people like that. 
where, where they, I, I've been around, a, there was a man of God who 40 days, after 40 days of fasting, I went to greet him. This was years ago. And all he did was put his arm around me, said hello. And he, he didn't even realize what was happening. He just put his arm around me. He was just saying hi, nothing spiritual. And I felt like this weight come on me. And I, I, I did everything I could to not cry. And I had to go away. I'm like, what is going on here? Like he did, all he said was hello. But the weight of the presence of Jesus was so heavy on that man. Now, this, uh, this other person I'm telling you about, he, so he says, you, you pour it. He says, after about 21 days, the glass becomes full. He says, when, when people skip prayer, they imagine they pour a little bit out. He says, when you skip one day, you dump the whole thing out. And you got to start all over again. Yeah, hearing stuff like that makes me want to lock myself in my room. And, and the truth is, there's a consistency to prayer that must be developed. The problem is, when you're not good at something, it becomes discouraging. Like, people always invite me to go paintballing or airsofting. And really, all it is, I've tried it. You know, all it is for me is I just go on a field and get shot a bunch of times. And I'm, I'm like out like the first minute of every round. I don't know how to take cover. I'm not aware of my surroundings. I can't aim very well. And all I, all, the whole experience is the beginning of the round, I get shot by a bunch of people, I get out, and I sit there for 20, 30 minutes while they finish the round. Then I get back in again. Because, because I wasn't good at it, it wasn't something I could get into. And so sometimes this is how the believer treats prayer because it's something they don't really know how to do. They get there in the prayer life. Like, how do I pray? What do I say? What do I do? How do I sit? Do I stand? Do I lie down? Do I pray in tongues at all? Do I worship? Do I say certain words? When do I start praying for my needs? All of these questions Jesus answers in Matthew 6. Let's go there. So Matthew chapter 6. Beginning at verse number 5. Are you ready? Jesus, right here, is going to tell us, and we're going to break this down. He's going to show us how we pray. And, and um, I need a timer. Thank you, gentlemen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and stand in the synagogues where everyone can see them. In other words, don't pray for the purpose of being seen. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now notice here, and we're going to continue to read in just a moment. But I want you to notice here in this verse that Jesus is not only saying when you pray. In other words, not if you pray. It's an expectation upon every believer that you should pray. Not only when you pray. He says, when you do, make it a moment. A lot of people struggle with atmosphere. Can I, just a PSA for all the parents who have crying babies. If your baby is ever crying or making noises during the service, just take them outside. That's something I can say as the evangelist, the pastors, you'd get all offended at them. Well, with my Ari, I'll, I'll kick my little Ari out of the service. She starts talking during my sermon. I don't care who she is. That's my daughter. She starts talking. She's got to go. You're disrupting the atmosphere. But we, need to, we, we fail to understand atmosphere. This is why people could have their cell phones go off again and again and again and again in a church service and never put it on silent because this doesn't, doesn't occur to them because they don't know how to protect the atmosphere. They, they, they try to debate with their children who are running around kicking things. No, no, please. No, no, please. All you have to do is take them out. Why? They don't know how to preserve the atmosphere. I felt that, but I'm going to preach it anyway in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's the truth, guys. 
And, and so cell phones and babies and, and, and getting up and down. And it's not just the way we treat church, but, but I, I often notice that the way people treat church is the way they treat their own prayer life. They don't know how to protect an atmosphere. Jesus there, leave the verse up, please. Jesus there was talking about protecting that atmosphere. When you pray, go away privately. In other words, seclude yourself. Set yourself up to not be able to lose focus. You say, well, does God really need that? Does God need a quiet church to move? Because I'm out there on the street corners praying for people and they're receiving it. Does God really need it to move? God does not need an atmosphere to move but you need it to receive. The flesh is weak. Our focus is fragile. And when we go to pray and we lock ourselves in, what we are doing is we're telling the Lord, this time is dedicated to you. I'm shutting myself in. Nothing else is allowed inside of here. And so that type of prayer is biblical. You know, there's this hippie-like mentality, especially from millennials, that looks at Christianity and all of the practices that just kind of this free, blow-in-the-wind type of thing. No, do you know that Jesus was one of the most structured people? He had a schedule. He wasn't in the streets all the time. You know where he was every day? He was in the temple. That was the ministry of Jesus. He would travel from city to city, find a temple, go inside to preach, share the word, and then do the miracles there. Jesus had structure. Jesus had discipline. Jesus had focus. And this is what he's telling us to do. Our prayer life cannot consist of just words that we throw out into the atmosphere as we go about our daily lives. That is a part of prayer, yes. But the main portion of your prayer, the foundation of your prayer life, the most powerful, most in-depth, most life-changing prayer that you can pray is the one that's done in private in a secluded atmosphere. You don't know how many times I've been preparing for a service praying and I get into such an atmosphere, I don't want to go into the service. Thinking, what's the point? I'm preparing out a miracle service that night. I'll be preparing, praying, and I get in these. Sometimes I have my headphones just to, so I don't have to talk to the Uber driver and I stay in my atmosphere. But by the time I get there, I'm like, I don't want to leave this. I don't want to go. And you, you, you get out there and you have to rework it all again. But, but what Jesus is saying is that this privacy, this, this place in prayer is something that you have to establish. We have to get to the place where we recognize that there is a ceremony to prayer. There is a time where you set aside for God and you say this hour, this two hour, this three hour, whatever it is, at least an hour hopefully. And, and you say this block right here is for God. And I'm not touching it for anybody. You know... What's in, God bless you. You know, the, the interesting thing is that people will come to us all the time, us ministers, and their whole lives are just in, in shattered pieces, and they're, they're dealing with issues, and, and things keep coming up, and they keep finding themselves in cycles. And you'll find every single time, every single time, and I'm not exaggerating, that's not hyperbole, every single time, the issue is they're not making daily contact in prayer, and they're not in their word. It's like going to the doctor, never eating and, sit and sleeping and saying, what's my issue here? You want to be diagnosed with something else. You, 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 you want it to be some other problem that can be resolved like that. You say, oh, you know what? There's a demonic spirit. There's a generational curse. We've got to break that. So here, just pray this prayer. Here's the simple thing. We want it to be simple because we don't want the discipline of daily prayer. 
We don't want the discipline of, of spending time alone with God. When, when your flesh fights you on that, recognize that that is the only place you're going to find it. Jesus says, when you pray, first and foremost, shut yourself off. So that's the first point. Let's go down to verse number 7. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, continuing now with the teaching of Jesus on prayer. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. How many know that new convert prayer where they're, Father God, we just thank you, Father God. Father God, that you would, Father God, touch the people, Father God. And Father God, that you would move in. The, and then you know they're coming to a close when it's, thank you. And we just, we just thank you. Father God, we thank you. I call that the new convert prayer. Don't hate me. It's funny. You know it. You can laugh. No, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I'm saying that for the sake of humor. What they're talking about here, what Jesus is saying, is sometimes we repeat things just for the sake of saying it. You know, sometimes when you're in worship and you're kind of just singing and then you, you close your eyes and you realize your mind went somewhere else and you come back, you're like, wait, what are we on? What are we doing? I've seen some people when they go to pray, everyone's praying and then they're so not paying attention. Prayer's done. They're still praying. This is the type of focus that we lose because we've not disciplined our minds to focus on Jesus. We, we're babbling. We're just throwing things out there. We're, we're, we're doing what's repetitious. We're doing what we've taught. We heard someone else pray. And for a season, it's good to hear someone else pray and pray what they're praying. For a season. But those are the training wheels. They're not the actual experience of writing. You have to, at some point, come out of that place and begin to pray from the depth of your spirit. Okay, so what do you say? Let's continue to read. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Jesus said, pray like this. Now, He's saying pray like this. Some people think that you have to, if you, you go and quote this exact prayer, thus defeating the point of the thing that Jesus said just before He gave us this exact prayer. He said, don't babble on. Don't just repeat a bunch of words. And then he gives you a standard. Now, this standard he's giving us is not a prayer to pray repetitiously every day and then expect to have power on your life. He's giving us a model for prayer. Okay? So this is what the Bible says. When you pray, but don't babble on. He says, pray like this in verse 9. Our Father in heaven. I want you to notice first and foremost that you recognize your identity as a child of God when you approach the throne. My Father. Some people come timidly to God, scared to approach, terrified of how He might respond to them. And they think of themselves as a rejected orphan rather than an accepted child. And you need to lose that orphan mentality that says that I'm kind of bothering Him with my prayer. Or maybe He's upset with me. Or maybe, maybe He'll talk to someone more spiritual who seems more spiritual, but He won't talk to me. You have to begin to see Him and know Him as your Father who already accepts you. When we come to the Lord in the posture of doubt, when we come to the Lord in the posture of timidity or reservation or hesitation, we are demonstrating that we've not fully realized our own identity in Him yet. But when you come to Him, you come confidently. Hey, Dad. Father. It's interesting. You know, they say, psychologists, Christian psychologists say, I don't know how much you can trust what they say, but... They say that your, your, the way you view your earthly father can actually have a heavy impact on the way you view your heavenly father. And some of you were rejected by your earthly father. Some of you, your fathers here on earth, were very, very, very stern, very unapproachable, very distant, very cold people. 
And so you've, you've taken that image and you've superimposed it on the nature of God and you've told yourself, God is like my earthly father and therefore I approach with fear and timidity. Not knowing if he's going to listen, not knowing if he's going to lash out at you, not knowing if he's going to accept you. Jesus is saying when you go to pray, just come to him. Father, a good father, that's who he is. Now, continuing, may your name be kept holy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. He moves right into worship. Worship establishes prayer. Psalm chapter 100 verse 4 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Praise and worship. Praise and worship are the entry gates into the presence of God. Praising and worshiping God takes me into a place with him that moves me beyond all my troubles and trials. Now, you may not believe it, but I actually have a fear of flying. I know it's difficult to believe because like every other weekend I'm flying. But every other weekend I'm afraid. Now, I try to be logical about my fear of flying. You know, I got all of these statistics in my head, and you know, everyone tells you the same thing. You know you're more likely to die on the way to the airport than on the airplane. I'm like, yeah, everybody says that. But here's the problem. Everybody who ever died in a plane crash probably recited the statistics to themselves and died anyway. Yeah, I know, very cynical. But it's where my mind goes, okay? Now, the worst thing for me, this is the thing I hate the most as far as flying, is the takeoff. Literally, again, my headphones, I feel like, I don't know, I have to constantly seclude myself from things. I'll put my headphones on, I'll play, I'll play my friend William McDowell and just start worshiping to that music. And, you know, we won't stop until we see it. And I'm just into it. And I just don't even think about the fact that the plane is going up. I don't, I don't even comprehend how that happens. And, and, and so one of the worst things, though, about going up is, is, is when you're in a storm. That, to me, is terrifying. Because, because that's where you hear all the stories, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a, just a freak accident. Somehow all the conditions came together to cause this accident. I'm thinking, there's one of the conditions right there. It was a storm. But as it's going up, there's turbulence. There's, you, 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 you know, the plane starts to dip, and it seems like it's fighting. Really, it's, it, in, in all reality, logically speaking, mechanically speaking, it's, there's no issue at all. It's just like hitting bumps on a road. But, you know, you're on your way up. you got this darkness around you. Everything's gloomy. It's like this. If any day would be the day, this would be the day. Like, this would be it. But then all of a sudden, as you begin to climb, everything starts to smoothen out. And you start to go through the clouds. And then when you come up over that cloud, it's like all of heaven opens up to you. Oh, there's the blue sky. The sun is shining. There was only the storm down there and the sunny Sky was here all along. Why? It's because when, 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 you, when, you're, when you're on the plane and you go above the storm, you're moving to higher altitudes. That's what worship is in prayer. You're going through the storms of life. Everything's combating you. Your mind is all over the place with all of the things that draw your attention to them. But then when you begin to worship, you move to higher altitudes. And you pass the storm and you begin to see that everything is smooth. That is what it is to enter into the presence of God before you pray. 
You try to pray without worshiping, and you're basically trying to fight through a storm. But when you worship, it goes from being earthly-minded to heavenly-minded. Instead of seeing everything from your perspective, you go and you see it from God's, and you say, oh, this isn't that bad. This isn't that big of an issue. Worship takes the focus off of you, off of your troubles, and puts them on the awesomeness of God. Continuing now, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is also key because this is about causing the earth to respond to God's will. When I pray for the sick, there's a prayer that I pray. And it's not a magic prayer, but it's something I pray from my spirit in faith. Often when I pray for the sick and I'm laying hands on them, I'll pray in the name of Jesus. I command every cell in this body to conform to the will of God. And then we start rebuking whatever the issue is. I command this nervous system to function properly and align with the will of God. I command the skeletal system to function properly and align with the will of God. And whatever the issues may be, we specifically attack it in that way. Why? Because prayer is simply the crossing together of two worlds. Do you realize that you, being earthly, are also spiritual like Christ was? Christ was God in the flesh. He was, though he was a man, he was God. Though you are a human being, you are a child of God. You are more than just an average human being. You have a connection with the heavenly realm. And only you can bring that connection from the heavenly into the earthly. That's only the believer can do that. There's no other type of person on earth who can pull that which is in heaven into that which is in earth. And when you pray, you're crossing together two realms. You're causing two realms to overlap. In one realm, there is healing. In another realm, there is sickness. And you pull the two into overlapping with each other. And so prayer is the establishment of the will of God being done in earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven, so I pull that healing into the earth. There's peace in heaven. I pull the peace of God into the earth. There, there, there's holiness in heaven. I pull the holiness into, into who I am. And what that does is it brings about the kingdom of God in the earth. The dominion of God in heaven is established in the earth through the surrender of the praying believer. I want to say that again. The dominion of God in heaven is established in the earth through the surrender of the praying believer. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says... And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, and many of you can relate to this. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. With groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. How does the kingdom come? Through the surrender of the will. Prayer is the submission of self to heaven's agenda. Prayer causes me to become the will of God in the earth. Now, the power of God comes when I am living according to the standards of God while acting out the will of God. Prayer causes you to become a force in the earth, cultivating heavenly culture wherever you move. You literally are importing heavenly culture 
into the earth. You're that ambassador. You're that middleman. You're drawing the things and you're pulling that which is not as though it is. You're binding on earth and loosing in heaven. So, continuing again, our Father in heaven, that's acknowledging your identity. May your name be kept holy, that's worship. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's surrender. Give us today the food we need. This is the prayer request. For more on that, I taught on that last time I was here on Wednesday. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, I taught about your identity and how that identity positions you to be able to ask things of God. Let me tell you this. God does not have to curse someone else to bless you. So you don't need to feel guilty that you're asking for a new car or a new job when people are starving on the other side of the world. God's not running short on miracles. There is no shortage of supply. And if it makes you feel that bad, pray for God to bless you. And then you do something about those who are suffering on the other side of the world. But prayer causes you to be blessed. It causes you to become a solution. And so the prayer request is not to be despised. Often you hear, you're only coming to God for what you can get for him. Well, yeah. So we all came to him first. I came to him because I got salvation. I know people who gave their hearts to Jesus because their marriages were falling apart. And they said, God, you're the only one who can do this. So Jesus doesn't mind that we come for the miracles. He would just like that we stay for his presence. And so when we come to Jesus, we can, we can bring our request to him. That's perfectly fine. He doesn't mind that. He, he, in fact, he tells you to ask. Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask me. Seek. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. He tells you to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. And we need to break the mentality that says that there is something wrong with that. So give us today the food we need. That's the prayer request. It's okay to include that in your prayer so long as that's not the entirety of your prayer. Now, this is an interesting one, and I, I really felt led in the first service, and I feel led again in this service to park, park it here. And forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. First of all, I want you to notice this is daily repentance. Now, there are those who will say that you don't need to confess your sins anymore, but 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That word faithful implies that it's consistent. That word consistent implies that I do it again and again and again and again. 1 John 1, 9, I can keep coming to him. Now, let me tell you why repentance is important on a daily basis. Repentance is important on a daily basis, not because if you don't do it, you won't go to heaven. I mean, if you're a believer, you're saved, you're washed in the blood of Jesus, and you're living righteously, and you're pursuing that holiness, and then you forget, I forgot to apologize for when I, I thought this bad thought three weeks ago. I forgot to ask forgiveness for that sin specifically. You know, if you, if you ever get forgetful or anything like that, you're going to hell according to that standard. But that's not the standard that God gave us. He doesn't have us repent daily so that we make sure to confess and repent every little sin and catch every little thing. He does that so that things stay corrected because your flesh has the tendency to walk away from God. So every day, I'm looking at that line. Every day I'm walking and I'm trying to stay on that straight and narrow. And I have to constantly adjust my course because the book of the Proverbs tells us that the feet wander. They, they rush into things. And, and we, we, we go certain ways and we have certain tendencies that bend us a certain way. And if you're doing this daily, eventually you're going to get off the path. Eventually you're going to walk into destruction. Daily repentance is important because it's daily correction and it's daily calibration for the path that you're walking. Every day, I'm checking, where did I veer off today? Where, where, where did I? And you know what you're going to find? The, the 
closer you walk with Jesus, the more offended you're going to become at your own sin. And the things that didn't bother you five years ago are going to make you feel just horrible. You start becoming more sensitive. For example, let's say you were an adulterer. No issue there. You just went out and you broke the covenant. And not a problem. After years of walking in repentance, there'll be a day where even if you look at someone just for a split second longer than you should have, you'll feel like you have to go and repent and you'll be weeping in your prayer closet. You become so broken over those things. And that's the daily correction. We, we get off the path and we need to stay on that path. Constant repentance is safety. Constant repentance will protect your future. Constant repentance will protect you spiritually. You look at people and you say, how did they fall? What happened? You want to know how to avoid it? Daily repentance. Take care of the little foxes before they spoil the vine. Put out that small fire before it becomes an inferno. Daily repentance. And as you do, the Bible says, forgive those who've trespassed against you. You want to know what's interesting to me? When it comes to the sins of others, we demand justice. But when it comes to our own sins, we ask for mercy. Christians should be the greatest forgivers on earth. Now, what's interesting is that this is something you're to pray daily. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Do you know why this is a daily thing? It's because it's possible to have been offended by someone and then forgive them and then be re-offended by the memory of what they did. Some of you got free of bitterness, but you went back into bitterness because of the memory of that thing. This is why Jesus said 70 times 7. It's a daily thing. And you may have to forgive someone over and over and over and over again for the same offense against you. I'm a petty person. I can hold a grudge. I mean, the most ridiculous things. I still remember the bank manager from six years ago who cut me off mid-sentence when I was trying to explain something to him. Am I, I, I'm glad I'm really saved because, my goodness, don't ever give me too much power. I don't get even. I get ahead. But God has to correct that. You see what I'm saying? All those things rise up. We all look, I'm being real with you, and you know you're the same way sometimes. Some of you used to come from the streets. I always, I always found it humorous. You know, I own this city. I'm thinking, are you the mayor? Do you, do you have political power in this town? But no, that old street mentality. I know nothing of it, but I've seen it in action. And, and you know, it, it is, it, uh, you know, I, I'm just not going to let them. Well, you should. Something I often say, do do they know who I am? I say, no, do you know who you are? Because you belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. We we need to be forgivers. Let things go. I can't just say that. Well, in my family, I don't care. It's what Jesus said. The standards of Christ are what the believer goes by. 
doesn't matter what they did to you. It doesn't matter if, 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 if they step up to you. That ego has to die. Here's the truth. You can't offend a dead man. And the Bible says, I'm dead in Christ. I died with him. And no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And we have to learn to let these things go. I was telling the first service about this documentary that was sent to me. And he sends me this video, this documentary, short seven-minute clip, about this man, a Muslim man, who, whose son was stabbed to death. And when it came for the sentencing and the court hearings and all this, the father went to court, told the murderer, I forgive you, I hold nothing against you, I pray the best for you, came off of the stand, went down and hugged the man, embraced him, and they embraced each other weeping. And the man says, I was, I was embracing him as my own son. Thinking, wow, that's what I saw, you know, from the faith of a Muslim, embracing. And I'm thinking, you know, some Christians get mad because their seat was taken by a visitor, or or they didn't get the parking saved, or they they, they were asked to do something, they were asked to work twice. When I already worked the first service, you know, there's a fence that rises. Good morning, good to see you guys. <laughs> There's a fence that rises that we need to learn to subject, and we have to learn to forgive because unforgiveness will block your prayers. I'll show you. Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, When you are praying, first forgive anyone, say anyone, who you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Look, Jesus said it. I didn't. It's very plain and simple. You want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. This is a recurring theme in the New Testament. Now, I understand it's difficult sometimes to forgive people. But if you want your prayers to to continue to have that flow, you've got to let it go. Did you hear what I said? Your, your, Your unforgiveness will make you sick. Your unforgiveness will destroy your ability to hear God. You're un- nothing will block miracles faster than, or, or more, more effectively, I should say, than unforgiveness. The forgiveness of God is a river, and when we hold grudges in the river, God's forgiveness cannot flow to us. It's a continual washing. It is con- there are things, you guys, that, that people will say, people will do, and, I, and I'll tell you this or not, my flesh tends to hang on to these things, and it'll even remember things. Or someone will do something similar, and I'll hold it against them for what other people did. And that's the human way of doing things. But this is why in prayer we have to learn to let go and allow the Holy Spirit. I almost said let go and let God. That would have been... That would have been so unlike me. I hate cliches. Okay, so, so continuing now. <laughs> forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. Verse number 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I love the way that's worded. Rescue us. Rescue me from this. You know that in times of temptation, I literally will cry out to God. And I'll say, God, you got to save me from this. Like, get me out of this. Like, I don't want to be in this. And every single time, he gets me out of it. What you got to do is protect yourself, too, by not allowing yourself to go anywhere near the temptation. 
What a foolish thing to get into temptation and then ask you, God, to deliver you. It's very foolish. I'm an alcoholic. I'll go into the bar and ask God because I want to see how strong I am spiritually. No, you don't. Your flesh is lying to you. You're lying to yourself. That's how deceitfully wicked you are to yourself. We do these things to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. That's how good we are at it. And so when it comes to temptation, we're saying, God, rescue me. Get me out of this. And, and in this way, we do spiritual warfare. Deliver us from the evil one. You know what my spiritual warfare tactic is? Ask God to do it. Spiritual warfare is simply defined, at least the way I see it in Scripture, as the fight to believe God's truth over the enemy's lies. Simple. All this other stuff we add to it, this, and basically we add superstition, we add hocus pocus, and we add our own, like, it's just weird stuff we add to it, guys. I'm just being honest with you. You can send an email to Reuben Vargas if you have an issue with what I said, but it's the truth, and he'll ignore it for me. So the, but, but we have all these things we add. Oh, you know, I, I've seen it done, and, and I've had people write me letters angry. I am not supporting you anymore because I have to talk about it because I want people to be set free. How many times do you say, oh, you know, you know they're getting delivered. So, so we have to go back to when you were a child seven years ago and rebuke the spirit at every month of every year. And then we got to interview. No, no, no. How did Jesus do it? He just cast them out. And so in the same way, when it comes to spiritual warfare here, it's very simple. Rescue us from the evil one. God, get them. That's spiritual warfare. God, I can't do it. You take care of it. Not even the, not even the archangel. Not even the archangel did it. He said, I dare not bring railing accusation against you. Remember when he was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses? Why they wanted the body, I don't know. But they're arguing with Satan over the... What was Satan going to do with that? That's a, I'll have to ask that to Google. So <laughs> they're arguing about the body of Moses and... and He's, he didn't even himself fight the enemy. He says, the Lord rebukes you. So I know that in prayer, my safest place, my safest uh, wall of protection against any attacks of the satanic or the demonic is the presence of God himself. He is my hiding place. He is my strong tower. I like to say that demons cannot swim in the depths of God. God's presence overwhelms the demonic. So that's spiritual warfare there too. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with praying against spirits. We see that all throughout the scripture. But, but taking it to the extremes of superstition is something we must avoid. I'm going to finish it up now. The King James Version, I think the NASB, the New King James Version, several of the other translations end with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It begins with worship. It ends with worship. But the substance of what he's saying all comes down to this. Luke 22, 42. Luke twenty two forty two. This is the substance of prayer. Let me show you. You ready? This is it. Simplified. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Think about it. Prayer is the establishment of God's will through me. When I surrender to the will of God, then I am surrendering to the power of prayer. People say, well, how, do you, how, do you, how are you always finding people who need healing? How are you always running into situations and stories? And It's because I walk in the will of God. He directs my steps. He, he, he guides me to the right people at the right times. And really, 
you know, we often look at like people with gifts of healing or the prophetic as like, oh my goodness, they're so spiritual. Not really. I'm, I'm not really. You want to know what, what I am? I heard this, um, Pastor Mark, what was his name? He, 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 he was from Elam in the UK. He, we had him at Harvest Studio. John Glass. I heard him say this when I was like, like 12 or 13. He told me this. He gave me a word. He says, you're just the mailman. He said, you know, when, when, if, if somebody was getting a, a letter from, well, I would say the president, but not under these conditions. Let me think. If someone was getting a letter from, pre, if someone was getting a letter from President Abraham Lincoln, Oh, boy. Either way you slice it, someone's going to kill you afterwards. <laughs> if you were getting a letter from Abraham Lincoln, first of all, that would freak you out, I'm sure, because he's dead. But <laughs> just, you know, go with the illustration here. Who would be the one who should be celebrated? The one who's getting the letter, the honored person getting the letter, or the mailman who delivers it? The person getting the letter. As a minister of healing, as a minister in the prophetic, as evangelism, we're, we're just the mailman. And so we need to submit our lives to prayer in the way knowing, God, I'm just, I'm just yours. I literally, I'm just, I'm just your tool. Put, put me where you want me, do what you want with me, and, and say what you want, however you want, when you want to say it, how you want to say it, and whatever tone you want me to say it, just do it. And prayer causes you to be submitted in that way, and then when you're in that place, power starts to flow from you guys. Power starts to flow. I'm talking about real power. I'm not talking about emotional alchemy where we can stir someone's emotions. Anyone can do that. I'm talking about power with results. Lives being transformed. People repenting of their sins. Healing and miracles and deliverance. Addictions being broken. That could be you. He'll just follow as Jesus did and said. How many by show of hands would say, I'm being challenged this morning in my prayer life. Let me see your hand. I want everyone who raised their hand, get up to this altar. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.